0: This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Robert Ostfeld was collecting Ivy League degrees like some people collect state quarters. He had a BA from Penn, an MD from Yale Medical School, and a Master's of Science in Epidemiology from Harvard University. Robert was totally on his way to a prestigious and lucrative career at the pinnacle of conventional medicine. But he threw that plan away when he decided to become amazing. Robert founded and directs the cardiac wellness program at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx, New York. And the medical center serves one of the poorest populations in all of New York state. And unlike other cardiac wellness programs that just involve blood pressure screenings, um, Robert's program treats them with both conventional care and lifestyle medicine, education, and plant-based food. Somehow, Robert stumbled upon the China study in his late 30s, and I don't know if you know a lot of doctors, but if you do and you try to show them a copy of the China study, most of them are too busy. Most of them think that it's impossible that all these things, all these conditions can be healed or prevented or reversed or halted or ameliorated by a plant based diet. Very few are open to the idea. And we and we hear about those folks because they're newsworthy. They're the um, man bites, dog stories of medicine. And Robert was one of those man bites, dog stories. And despite the guffaws and dismissals from his colleagues, he woke up to a different way of treating patients. He changed his own diet, his own lifestyle, and works with the community. And the most interesting thing from my perspective about his work is not necessarily the plant-based part. I'm kind of used to that by now. But how he and his staff have really blurred the lines between caring for individuals and caring for the community. In other words, medical treatment versus public health. I can't even say where one starts and one stops in his practice. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, Dr. Robert Ostfeld, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor to be here.
0: Well, we and we just discovered in our in our pre recording chat that we have some interesting um, connections, uh, which we may we, we may get into. But I guess my my first question is just, you, you know, we, we we share a lot of background in common, sort of growing up suburban in New Jersey, um, both going to, you know, good schools, Ivy League. Um, and the the thought that you could come to, could 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 leave that milieu and start a practice and be a doctor and have all these credentials behind your name and yet be open to the idea that maybe you hadn't learned everything that there was to learn is is pretty remarkable to me because I don't see that very often. I wonder if you could talk a little bit just that, you know, the, the relationship. You, you you studied with great people. You went to great medical institutions. I'm sure you worked your ass off for, you know, close to a decade to get where you are. And yet there was something missing for you. When When did you realize that there was something missing in terms of how you had been taught and how you were practicing.
1: Yeah, well, uh, well, thank you. And um, yeah, I certainly would uh, you know, never claim to have even come close to have learned it all. Um, and that's one of the beauties of medicine. We just keep on learning for a lifetime. And um, for uh, those who did far better in the English section than I in the SATs, I think doctor in Latin means to teach. And it's sort of a wonderful uh, way to think about what physicians or doctors do. You know, part of what we do is, is teach people and hopefully part of that is about um, a healthier lifestyle. But yeah, I mean, um, I've, you know, I was really lucky uh, things worked out. I got to train in some pretty great places, but um, I really was not exposed to the impact of a plant-based diet or really a plant-based diet in general uh, for you know, until after all of my training, uh, which is, which is a bit of a bummer. And I think the needle is moving a little bit uh, toward teaching students at various stages about a plant-based diet. And we could get into that. Um, But yeah, I didn't have through medical school, residency, fellowship, my master's didn't really touch on a plant-based diet at all. Um, And the, So I kind of got into all this and I guess we can get into that a little bit later but Mike one of my major goals was to help people be healthier um, and to prevent disease so I started working as a cardiologist at Montefiore which is really an amazing institution here in the Bronx and uh, you know did all the things I was trained to do guideline based medications maybe a Mediterranean style diet but people it didn't seem like people were getting a heck of a lot better like maybe we slowed the pace of the disease but they weren't getting a lot better and i was kind of getting bummed i'm like what am i doing and i remember i was sitting on the hospital floor one day i think it was like a weekend and i was on call and i was rounding and you know i was thinking you know i'm just not prof- making people profoundly better i mean i'm doing all the guidelines stuff the medications and encouraging them to you know exercise and all that but it didn't feel like i was making the kind of impact i wanted to make And it seemed to me at the time that the only people within cardiology that were really saving people were those, the interventionalists who were putting stents in during giant heart attacks at three in the morning, which are in large respect preventable with a plant-based diet. And, you know, it's important that we have people there to put in those stents, but we'd like to avoid that if at all possible. And so it was really at that point that I'm like, well, I'm really not on the path that is really synergistic with my passions and interests. And it was just by luck, just by luck, uh, a friend of mine at that point handed me the China study just like a week or so later, and she's like, hey, Rob, you're going to like this book. And so I started reading through it, and of course, that's the book highlighting the impact in a very evidence-driven way of a plant-based diet. And I loved it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. And then I started learning more about it, And I got to invite a number of amazing people like Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and Colin Campbell and others to speak at Montefiore um, about the plant-based diet. I got to learn more and more about it. And one thing led to another and started our cardiac wellness program here, which has the goal of preventing and reversing disease with a whole food plant-based diet. And we've had hundreds of patients come through, and I've quite honestly seen some of the most unbelievable turnarounds, you know, for those who follow the Forks Over Knives blog or other kinds of venues where people discuss their improvements, you know, these kinds of turnarounds will will be old hat at this point, but they're just so refreshing and amazing. And, um, you know, when I say prevent and reverse disease, not heart disease, b- because of course, eating this way, sure, it's good for your heart, but it's good for you for dozens and dozens Of other reasons so it's totally rejuvenated me as a doc and quite frankly one of my secret goals of the program and I know this sounds a little of our wellness program and I know this sounds a little corny but is to help save the world which I know is maybe a little melodramatic but the reason I say that and and I'm sure many of your listeners will agree is because by eating this way a plant-based diet it's great for the environment it's great economically in terms of costs, health care, and all sorts of things. And it's also great for an individual person's health. So uh, that's sort of one of my secret goals. Mm.
0: Well, so you know, and saving the world, I think, isn't, isn't something that doctors think about very often because they're, they're just trying to save whatever's in front of them in the moment. But you also have a, a master's in epidemiology from Harvard, I believe. Uh, Yes. Right. And that's that's the, the study of the um, kind of causes and distribution of, of diseases and health. Right. And, and so I'm curious about that because, you know, I know I have a lot of friends who are, you know, smart. They're doctors. They're, like, you know, into numbers. And they read the China study and were able to dismiss it. And they were able to say things like correlation is not equal to causation. And they had they had the intellectual toolkit, to I think completely miss the point of what the book was about. And I'm wondering, like, what what was it like for you to open that and to see a vision of the world that was, you know, if not if not opposite what you had learned, at least cer- certainly like parallel to it. Like like yeah. like it was a different universe.
1: It hugely supplemented everything that I had learned, and I'm bummed and disappointed that they could dismiss it. And I'll get into that. There's just so many aspects of it that I find inc- that I find of the China study to be incredibly compelling. And one of those and there's there's many and I can I can start to explain why I, I don't agree with, you know, dismissing the findings of the China study. But um first of all, Dr. Campbell uh grew up a cattle farmer, I believe. Um, And then went into studying nutrition to learn more about the benefits of milk and meat. So he came into it with an incredible life bias. I mean, that's what his family did. And so he wanted to help kind of prove the benefits of that. But he was open minded enough to let his research sort of define his path, if you will. Um, He let evidence drive him, as opposed to any kind of preconceived notion. And then he flipped 180 degrees, which I think in of itself is a real testament to his open-mindedness and academic rigor. So that's phenomenal. Um, But in terms of the China study itself, I mean, from a 10,000-foot view, you know, not that this is so important but you know the New York Times at the time called it the Grand Prix of epidemiologic studies but it's it's absolutely true causation correlation does not equal causation it's just one piece of a very big puzzle and it was an amazing epidemiologic study with tons of data but if you take any one study you can poke holes in it Um, and there are journal clubs that happen at medical centers all the time you know our cardiology fellows have a journal club and medical students and residents have a journal club and what journal club is you take a particular article or two and you discuss the strengths and weaknesses which they all have um, and so and so that you can you know learn about how to read a study and about how to you know think critically about it and imply it to the best of your ability and the best of the data from that study to the patient that you're seeing but In terms of the China study um, when sure one study you can say well look you know in in an epidemiologic study you are finding correlation and you say okay does eating plants lead to better disease well maybe the people who ate plants they also like super exercised a lot and other things that that may have attributed accounted for this great outcome but what what you can do is you can control for those things in the study to say okay well we're going to like equalize Um, exercise and equalize other healthy lifestyle measures to try to focus more in eating the plants. Does that have an outcome? Uh, Does that impact things? But you know what? In an epidemiologic study, you can't control for everything. Like maybe, maybe eyebrow length is like the secret to health. Um, (laughs) But like, who would ever think that? No one would ever measure the eyebrows and control it in an observational or cohort or epidemiologic study. Um, and so, but in a randomized trial, let's say you take 100 people and you randomize 50 people to plants and 50 people to no plants. In a randomized trial, all of the things that you would think about that are important, like high blood pressure and obesity, those things should be equal between each group if the randomization is done well, but also any assorted number of things that you would never even think of, like eyebrow length. Like shoe size you know like hair length you know so all of that stuff will be equal as well as long as the randomization is done well Um, so that's why these kinds of studies all they, they all have roles and they all supplement each other and so when you look at the totality of the evidence the China study multiple multiple other epidemiologic and observational studies finding similar stuff some randomized trial studies finding similar things multiple basic science and test tube studies supplying um, mechanistic support to why these kinds of why a plant-based diet would be helpful when you look at the totality of the evidence sure you can poke a hole in any one of those studies um, but when you look at the whole needle where it's all pointing I think that that profoundly supports it and then of course I look supports the impact of a plant-based diet, and I just, you know, this is not exactly science, but I look at my own clinical experience, and for the patients who embrace the whole food plant-based diet, they're the ones who have the most profound benefits. So um, I think uh, when you're dismissing the China study, in my opinion, that's sort of losing the forest for the trees, um, and... You know, what is the term being smart, too smart for your own good or something like that? Um, Getting lost in the weeds. Um, So I I, I very much support the impact of a China study.
0: So I wonder if you have insights into because, you know, most medical people don't agree with us that a whole food plant based diet is the optimal diet for health, you know, let alone an understanding of how profound and how rapid and how broad an effect it can have um, you know they're, they're arguing about still paleo or, or Mediterranean and, and and all that stuff do you have a sense of how they're thinking about it is it simply that they, they like slept through statistics class or or it's they're being taught wrong or they're there's they're looking th- at different things like what what do you how, how do you account for that gap
1: I think it's kind of all of the above and you know, there are just so many docs out there. So I, I kind of think it's all of the above. First of all, we're really not taught about it. Uh, when I went to medical school, it's a while ago now, like maybe we had two or three lectures about nutrition, but mostly it was about a kind of random vitamin deficiency, things that you almost never see in the Western world now. It wasn't about some, you know, this diet or that diet. And, um, the, the, and that theme continues to this day, albeit probably... I don't even know. It might actually be worse now. Some schools are doing a little bit better job of it, but on the whole, probably not. Um, So we're not really taught about it. And the people who are teaching and that we're following on the wards, you know, they're more senior and they're less likely to have learned about it. So it really takes like a generation or so for things to shift. Um, So we're not taught about it. uh, And we don't, so it's not discussed a lot. Um, in terms of the data, you know, the one pushback that I've had from very, um, you know, academically oriented colleagues is that there are not a lot of randomized trials, and it's hard to argue with that because they're right. There are not a lot of randomized trials. There are bigger randomized trials with a Mediterranean-style diet. And, you know, diet is a continuum. The Mediterranean-style diet is healthier than a typical Western diet. It would be hard to find a diet that isn't healthier than a typical Western diet, but diet's a continuum. But the way, so we we lack multiple large randomized trials, and so some of my associates or colleagues who, you know, are are very, very bright and consider themselves, you know, evidence-driven have not been willing to fully embrace um, a plant-based diet because of that. But the way I see it is that given the, where the data is now on the impact of a plant-based diet being so profound that I feel like we should consider that, a plant-based diet, as the optimal diet and then let's prove it wrong. You know, it's not that how we're currently eating in the U.S. where the, you know, the number one reason to die is heart and blood vessel disease for men and women. It's not that the way we're eating now is uh, the optimal way and that should be the default. And let's prove that wrong. Um, Given where the evidence is for a plant-based diet, I think that should be the default. And then let's prove that wrong. Like, you know, maybe Woody Allen will ultimately have been right. Maybe fried chicken and ice cream is the way to go. But I don't think so. And... But let's prove a plant-based diet wrong. So I think it's really all of the above that we haven't embraced. That so we're not taught about it. It's foreign to us. Docs also think patients aren't going to do it. We don't know how really to teach about it. We know very little about nutrition. Um, so it's kind of out of our out of our comfort zone. So it's a multi-pronged issue.
0: Mm. So when you, you read the China study, you were convinced. So what, what, what year was that roughly?
1: Uh, gosh, somewhere in the, like, late 90s, around 97 or 98 or so. I
0: mean 2007?
1: T- to... Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, 2007, yeah. Around 2007,
0: 2008. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so at, th- at that point, you were I guess you were, like, just under 40? 30, yeah. 37, 38, like that?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Did you, how, how was your health at that point? Um, Um,
1: my health my health is fine Um, didn't have any kind of overt medical issues Um, but I you know like anyone I want to or like many people I want to be as healthy as I can be and when I read it and learned about how I could be healthier I changed the way I was eating as well and I thought that that would be helpful with me for patients too because it's a lot easier for me to ask them to do it when I'm also walking the walk. Um, you know, I I sometimes see um, docs, you know, tell the patients don't forget to eat right and kind of, you know, give them a pat on the back and, you know, then they go have their uh, extremely unhealthy, you know, Western lunch or dinner. And so it, it helps when you walk the walk and you know the various hurdles and pitfalls and things that people go through when, you know, trying to embrace this lifestyle.
0: Mm. So um, when, when you decided to help other people do it, did you know, as you said, there's, there's very little evidence on like the best way to to actually get people to do it. And one and one of the big objections in the medical profession is people won't do it. So if I if I give them a pill, they're likely to be compliant with a pill. If I give them. Uh, a surgery, they're they're there, they're out. Right. They're, they're you know by definition 100% compliant. And if I tell them to go eat something that I'm not eating, you know that that ain't gonna happen. Um, how did you begin to approach that question as as sort of an evidence based practitioner of medicine to not just tell you know to feel like oh you know go go eat your broccoli and rice and now I've done my job as opposed to actually getting the clinical outcomes you were looking for
1: yeah i mean it's a great question and it's a really vexing issue Um, behavior change in my opinion is the holy grail of medicine i mean we all kind of know that eating kale is good for us but actually to make that happen is is really hard and the whole the whole compliance thing you know with uh, you know a prescription pill for cholesterol- lowering medication or whatever there is some some data out there that you know thirty forty percent of people just stop their pills after a year hmm. um, and you really need to stay on them to keep it to keep it going um, you know because someone may feel fine they take a cholesterol pill and they feel fine they, they just sort of forget about it or it falls off the radar um, so you know we're, we're kind of sometimes if, if we don't keep our eye on that ball too and don't get me wrong we're preventing or, prevent it, or when we're trying to treat patients it's all the above lifestyle and medications were appropriate um, you know if we don't keep our eye on the medication ball as well that can really fall away but in terms of you know how I started to think about getting patients to embrace this, there was I, I thought about it in a few ways I, I had remembered and like, I, I still haven't been able to track down the study although I haven't put a lot of time into looking I remember seeing a study where they had asked patients to make some lifestyle changes and, and they randomized them to baby steps versus diving in and the thinking had been before or certainly are certainly hard discussed you know well you know we don't want to be too drastic let's just have to take one step at a time and so in this study, the baby steps didn't work, and the more drastic change worked. Hmm. I was kind of impressed with that, and so I thought that that would be a good approach to take. It seemed like that's the approach that Dr. Esselstyn was taking, and I thought that you know to really break habits and to change a bunch of things, people should just fully dive in. That was just some sort of bias that I had. And it's not one size fits all. Some people need to work their way into it. But that was the bias given the, the, the study that I'd seen, what Esselstyn had done. And then I also came to see that people's taste buds change after a couple of months. And people, you know, when they really embrace it, their health gets so much better so quickly that it kind of sells itself. So I thought like half measures and half steps might not be sufficient. And don't get me wrong, like I don't want perfection to be the enemy of good. Um and I have some patients, and you know if Dr. Esselstyn, you're listening to this like earmuffs right now, please. But um you know, I have some patients who all they're gonna do is seventy percent, like that's it. You know, we'll talk about it, that's it. And look, I'll take it. You know, it's better than twenty percent and they still have benefits, just you know, not as much as those who go further. Um so Uh, I just quickly lost my train of thought, but I think, and so they see the benefits so quickly that, um, you know, it it sells itself.
0: Mm. Because, you know, I've been trained as a behaviorist and as a a coach and a health coach and a, a marketer. And I've often seen the opposite, right? That the The prevailing wisdom is you give people baby steps, small wins, little successes, and so I wonder, like, there's a lot of data out there that shows that that's a really good approach, and so I've been thinking a lot about like why it t- tends not to work in this case, um, whether whether it's you know that we simply don't believe it. So you know, so if you're if you're going to take baby steps to do something like you know become a tennis player. Like you'll understand that you have to learn how to hold the racket first, and you might spend a couple of weeks just practicing holding the racket. You know that you're not going to sort of jump into Wimbledon, when you know when when you already know that there's a method and there's an outcome. But people really don't believe that this is going to make a difference. Like I, I, you know, there's there's still a sort of aura of, gee whiz holy cow, wow. This stuff actually works. I think that you know that, well, there's a lack of, of confidence in it that uh, that is sort of endemic.
1: I hear you. I hear you. And you know, I think there, there's I think there is merit to the baby step approach too, and it's sort of whatever fully aligns with those per- that person's wish. Um, but uh, oh gosh, I'm just blanking on the point I was going to make. Sorry, someone just waved about a patient to me. Uh, um, occupational hazards yeah yeah uh, definitely but I I it's when some the majority of the patients that I see you know have a medical diagnosis they have a problem whether it's high blood pressure high cholesterol maybe they've had a heart attack and when if you take someone who feels perfectly healthy and asks ask them to like a perfectly healthy 30 year old ask them to dive in go whole food plant-based no oil it's a little harder sell than for someone who's had a heart attack or who's had a problem or can sort of see the trouble coming down the line. Um, so you know that is I don't know the right term to use, but a, a help to me, if you will. Um, it's it's an easier sell for my patients who. Um, you know, like for like the who who have a problem, and so like the tennis, the person who's going to start off in tennis, you know, if you say you start a nine-year-old, who to, to get them on the path, maybe if someone's really lucky you get a college scholarship or beyond. Um, the uh, you know, it is sort of baby steps like that. You're you're thinking with that kind of that kind of horizon and um, that kind of long-term goal. But like you're saying, the plant-based stuff it happens so quickly, and and then patients will have an immediate problem that they're desperate to get fixed. They've just had a big heart attack or they have potentially have surgery on the horizon. Some kind of problem they really want to have fixed and I think they're much more amenable uh, to uh, diving fully in. And And just like you're saying, the educational component of it is huge. You know, people will often say, oh, my gosh, really, this this might work. And that speaks to where we are as a society, not really speaking about the impact, the beneficial impact of a plant-based diet much. And I think that's one of the keys to our program where we have these four to five-hour teaching sessions on periodic Saturday mornings where we go through the impact of the diet in a lot of detail and try to fill whatever kind of education void there might be for patients so that they can really see the impact. And we have a patient who's living this way speak so they can see, look, it's not just, you know, Dr. Osfeld talking about it. Here's a patient who's had the incredible turnaround as well. So that educational aspect helps. And when I'm in clinic seeing patients, I try to start to fill the educational void as I talk about the impact of a plant-based diet specifically for them and their medical issues and why that's going to help them and seek to find a unique hook for each person. Like maybe, you know, maybe someone's got um, a graduation, their kid's graduation coming up, or their g- granddaughter is going to get married, or something, and they want to dance at the wedding. Something as a hook to help them be that much more excited uh, about about a plant-based diet. Mm. So
0: I'm thinking about you know the. A statistic you just mentioned, that I'd never heard before, about 30 to 40 percent of patients like stopping their cholesterol meds within the year because they're, they're, they're feeling better. And I'm wondering whether the the recidivism rate for a plant-based diet once adopted is maybe a lot lower than that because you know I, I think I, I read a quote of yours somewhere, I'm blanking on where it was, that you know people cry when they see their improvements, um, you know the plant based diet. No one ever cried when I gave them a script for for statins. You know, is is, yeah. is, is there something about the plant based diet that, you know, sort of, sort of creates this this bigger identity in in folks that that is easier to maintain than a pill habit?
1: I think it's I think it's both. I think sometimes it's harder and sometimes it's easier because when you embrace eating this way. You know, yeah, you. It, it sort of sells itself because after two or three months, you've lost a lot of weight. You know, I've had patients come off multiple medications, they'll they feel better. So it kind of sells itself. So so you're right. You know, but if you say just put someone on a pill for a cholesterol lowering medication, that can be important too. Typically, that person feels perfectly fair when they're on the medication, and three months later, they feel pretty much the same way. So they're not feeling the beneficial impact of the pill, whereas with the lifestyle change, um, they do. So there's that aspect of it selling itself. um, And also after one of the reasons why I want people to dive all the way in is because with anything, there's a learning curve and it takes a little while to get your sea legs and it's easy to fall off the wagon early on before your taste buds have changed, before you've really seen the benefits. So I really ask patients to be to the letter of the law two to three months Um, so it can sell itself after two or three months and it also becomes like a whole lifestyle like taking a pill once a day in the morning when you brush your teeth like that's not a lifestyle but now you're thinking about how you're eating how you're living some people it begins to resonate with the environmental and the ethical aspects of it so it takes on more than just a health component so that makes it sticky a sticky habit that'll hopefully stay with you but then of course there are unique hurdles in that It's different uh, than the way the average person eats. It's different than the way the average restaurant and society is geared to work. So that throws in challenges. You know, family members who may not know about it will be like, you know, suddenly everybody's an expert in nutrition once you try to eat more healthily. You know, they'll, you know, advise you differently and, you know, I'm hurt that you won't eat the whatever animal product I made it's a special family dish and so it it has uh, unique hurdles with it as well uh, so it can get to be um, a little dicey but it's actually kind of exciting for the person who embraces it they feel the benefits when they learn more about it they can actually you know help their loved ones you know their friends their family begin to you know even open their eyes a little bit or about the impact of a plant-based diet, help them change their lifestyle. I have a number of patients who do just that. Um, You know, one has all of her brothers and sisters shifts, her husband shifts, nieces and nephews are eating much more healthily. It's really um, pretty awesome. So it it has unique um, reasons to be sticky and unique reasons to make people fall off uh, the wagon. And with any kind of habit change, it does take some degree of perseverance um, and maybe some accountability. And that's why when we have patients come for our Saturday morning sessions, I encourage them to bring a friend or a significant other to kind of help them along the way, but also someone to sort of have them be accountable to. And we'll see them or touch base with them relatively frequently um, so they can, you know, be accountable to us. Uh, as well. And people like, it's kind of fun, like, oh, like, I lost another five pounds, or my cholesterol fell 15%. Or, you know, those are fun measures to, to see.
0: Hmm. So you are working in the Bronx, right? Can, can you describe yeah. sort of the, the patient population that you're you're, uh, you're practicing with?
1: Yeah, um, I feel very lucky to work here in the Bronx. The Bronx is it's obviously one of the boroughs of Manhattan, and I think it's got somewhere around 1.8 or 9 million people. don't know exactly. Um, it's um, a largely um, indigent patient area. The Time magazine or a magazine like that maybe four or five years ago came out ranking the uh, health of all the different counties, I think they're called counties, in New York State they did it state by state they didn't compare between states just within states and Bronx the Bronx There are like 50 counties in New York State and the Bronx was 50th hmm. uh, so and you know it's whatever time magazine but there are some magazine but they had you know a lot of health measures that they looked at it looked, it was a pretty reasonable way of looking at it so you know not an area with a lot of healthy people and if you look at the 2000 census um, where uh, there are about 25 zip codes in the Bronx, and I forget the exact number, but at least five or six—I think maybe five—zip codes I could have been more. I apologize. Um, had a per capita income of less than $10,000 a year, um, and the you know the the median was not particularly high. So that can lead to some access issues to healthier foods and, and healthcare. Uh, so, you know that's an issue. So, um, it is an unhealthy population. It is a relatively um, one with without a ton of financial resources. Um, and in terms of the the people, there's a wide array, as you can imagine, uh, of people that we see given it's such a large number of people in the Bronx. But I would say, if if the on average, we probably see more of a, a Dominican or Puerto Rican population here. Uh, at Montefiore. Um, but, of course, there's the whole every race, ethnicity, creed, value, uh, will, um, socioeconomic status comes through. Um, but, uh, at least right now, that to me seems like the primary, the most common demographic would be Dominican or Puerto Rican. Right.
0: So when I hear that, I think part of me thinks, well, that, they, they must present a whole bunch of special challenges and hurdles from, you know, the, the, the price of healthy calories versus the price of crap, um, language barriers. But on the other hand, their grandmothers were probably cooking pretty close to the way you recommend that we eat. W- what do you find?
1: Um, I, I find that, uh, at least for the, the current generation that I work with, it's a, it's a bit of a climb at first. Uh, to have them open to embracing it, it's very different from what they've um, been doing, at least here, or maybe you know, over the the course of their adult life. Um, there are access issues to having access to healthy foods. Although although Montefiore and the city does a lot of work to try and and help people with that with green cart programs and other programs to make it easier for people to have healthier diet Um, but and and perceptions of beauty are different different populations uh, think you know that maybe I don't know the right term to use but a a body with more weight on it would be is is more beautiful and others think that a body with less weight on it is more beautiful Um, and so uh you know when you eat a whole food plant-based diet no oil people typically lose weight and i have had patients um who uh are um you know from puerto rico who've said you know um that, that they still fall significantly into the overweight realm by uh body mass index measures and any kind of you know Uh, measure we would use in studies but for them personally they're like well um, I feel like I'm getting too skinny I feel like this is not an attractive look for me Um, Mm. and you know they will have friends and family members saying that perhaps they're getting too skinny Uh, and even though by any kind of um, I don't know the right terms use but like scientific measure that we would use they are still at a very unhealthy weight and this is not everybody but there are certainly many examples like this so it presents unique challenges those are um those are our habits and perceptions that are hard to change and you know we try to work with them to um at, at least focus a lot on the health aspects of it um uh, and and you know, and beyond that, but typically the, the health aspect for the person. So, uh, it, it can be very much a uh, a steep climb, and the hurdles in place are multiple uh, things within society, like perceptions of beauty, like habit, um, uh, like you know, some of the things that grandma used to make that uh, create a lot of inertia. But when you have someone who's fresh from a heart attack. Fresh out of bypass surgery, uh, that often changes the calculus. It's a little harder when someone's you know 25 and perfectly uh, healthy. And I think many of the listeners can resonate when they were very young and you know maybe had a, a sense of uh, invincibility. And uh, maybe I'll I don't mean to steal thunder here, but when we were talking beforehand, you know we realized that we overlapped because I went to to high school at the at a school where you had your first job, I guess, out of college. Um, and so we, I think we even overlap for a year and I remember feeling a bit more invincible, you know, when I was 16 years old than I do now. Um, so, and, and I think my, even I would be, I would have been less open to this kind of change then than I am now.
0: Yeah, I mean, cer- cer- certainly, um, you know, the, the, the gap between where I am and where I want to be can be a huge motivator, um. But I guess, I guess one of the big things that you do is bring in other people from the community to say where you, you know, people don't even dare to want to be where they could be, right? Our, our, one of the things that amazes me about our medical system, given all the money we spend on it, given the incredible technology and all the research and development and how important it is politically is how little we really expect from it in, in terms of outcomes. So I, I'm guessing that the, the folks... Who come and, and testify at these Saturday gatherings are probably the the stars of the show
1: yeah indeed indeed they are, and I kind of do that a little bit deliberately um, because I want to see show patients what 's possible and we have patients come our speakers come you know they're they're Dominican they're Puerto Rican they're every race and creed but they are the exactly just like the people in the audience and very much like me Um, and so I want them to see what's possible you know we have one person who speaks and she in I don't nine or so months lost like 75 pounds and she reduced her medications from 19 to 3 and and now feels great and can walk around and play with her family whereas before she was stuck walking a block and she steps up there with her before-and-after picture and she's really really passionate about Living this way, um, and it's really compelling. It's one thing for me to get up there and, you know, give a nice talk about the beneficial impact of eating this way, and I try to personalize it as much as I can, but it's another thing for a patient to get up there and say, Look, you know, at first I was skeptical, I know what you're thinking, and I didn't believe them, and then I tried and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is really good. So I put it to the test and it worked. So, uh, yeah, we, so that's that's. I think that gets at how behavior change is so challenging because there are just so many unique, idiosyncratic hurdles uh, that we kind of have to come at it from all sorts of different angles. Like the hook with the patient and what's that graduation that's coming up. Like having the patient speak at the wellness session. Like continually following up with them. Um, you know, like giving them strategies about how to handle not uncommon situations like you, that could be problematic. Like, what do you do when you go out to eat? What do you do if you're going to go to a family's family member's house when they don't eat this way? What do you do when your friends ask you about it? Um, all of these things are pieces of the larger puzzle of behavior change. And, it's, you know, I think that's why it's so it's so hard. And, you know, I'm going to mess up this study a little bit. There was an article in the New York Times just I think over the weekend where they were talking about New York City had started some programs to make healthier food more available in the Bronx and I think like um a supermarket was opened with some tax credit that was gonna have like healthier foods and so they did that but people kept buying things that they had bought before, even though maybe there were way more apples available, they were still weren't buying them. They were buying, you know, the old habits die hard. So uh, it's it's more it's, it's just a very complicated um, issue that, uh, you know, like having your podcast and, you know, me with my small clinic and hopefully patients being ambassadors with us um, and people writing books and movies and politicians talking about it and Beyonce coming out and talking about being, you know, vegan and um, all of these things, uh, you know, add up to help us begin to move
0: the dial. Mm. You mentioned earlier about um, you know not just the personal. You, you like you know we, we're trying to save the world, and so of course there's there's uh, environmental aspects to eating a plant-based or vegan diet. There's uh, animal cruelty aspects. There's economic justice aspects, and you know given that you work with the poorest of the poor in in New York. I wonder is is there some level of dignity that accompanies, you know, um, people doing something for for others? You know, I'm thinking about like you know people without much money donating to charity or you know giving what little they have to to others. I know there've been times in my life where I felt you know I've had a bad year financially and like I wouldn't buy organic food, <laughs> right? It right. was. I mean, and, and then, you know, after I learned about the, 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 the farm workers and their conditions, now for me, buying organic food is about them much more than it is about me. And so I'm much less likely to, to let the dollars and cents get in the way. And I'm wondering if you find that with, with your um, Bronx population, that once they, they get that there's bigger issues here, that it, it becomes a little bit ennobling.
1: That's a great point. I've only seen that on a small scale. I've, when, I, when I speak during our Saturday morning sessions and I speak when I see patients in clinic, I focus largely on the health aspect of it. Um, and as I think that that's the area that I would have the most credibility. And when I start branching out into the, at least for the, my patients, the ethical aspect, the environmental aspect, um, it's... Uh, it's sort of out of my wheelbox, if you will. Um, and I feel some people resonate to that a lot, and other people are uh, do not. So I stick largely to the health aspect of it. But in my patients who um, are really you know kind of more so on autopilot, really pushing ahead with it, you know it's those other things that are often I don't mean to minimize it, but like the cherry on top or what pushes them and uh, gives them a sense of purpose about it, you know, when they will uh, help us or, or, you know, help their community. You know, some of them have tried to set up sessions where, you know, we'll go out and and give a little talk to a a group, uh, you know, a church group or something, Um, or they um, help get their um, brother or sister uh, or local community making changes and, and for them that's very nice and and they'll feel good about it for the health aspect and then they'll also some of them feel great about it for the environmental and, and the ethical aspect but to be honest I haven't dove as much into that as I should I should probably think about weaving that in as just one of the other pillars to help people or one of the other pieces of the behavior change uh, puzzle.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I'm also thinking about, you know, the, the more I learn about plant-based diets and the more I learn about the gap between what I've been told as a medical consumer and what I've discovered as a, a health journalist and researcher is I have to wonder, like, why am I being lied to? And does that come up as sort of a, a political or social... Um, uh, sort of consciousness raising in, uh, in, in your population?
1: Yeah, it does, it, it does personally for me and also for some of my patients. Um, for example, if when when we, are doct- when we graduate from medical school, we take an oath to first do no harm. It seems to me that if we don't tell people about this profoundly beneficial way to live and eat, then we are doing harm. We are a priori doing harm, which is unethical. Who wants to actually do that? And my patients will actually sometimes be visibly pissed off in the office. Like, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Hmm. Like, they'll actually like be really angry. Like, why, why didn't my doctors tell me? Why didn't they tell me this before I had my scan? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I, I kind of know, but I, like, well they maybe I don't say but like maybe they didn't know about it or you know maybe they didn't think you could do it or maybe they just don't believe in it or something I guess I can't speculate for another person's thinking but uh so yeah I definitely see that um with patients and they'll be they'll be quite upset and I've even had a few patients come through who before me they saw a doc they told them they wanted to go plant-based they say the patients say that the doctor laughed them out of the office and I don't know if that is or isn't true but then the patient will go back to the same doctor after having lived plant-based for a few months and their numbers are much, much better, but then much to the lack of credit of the doctor, the doctor still won't like, think it's a way to go. Um, and then they'll, you know, I guess leave and find another doctor. to see sometimes. Um, so I think that that's, uh, and and, and so people will get upset.
0: Yeah. So, you managed to get this program approved at Montefiore. Um, how how hard was that? And I'm thinking specifically about, you know, your your one of your mentors, uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, who who sort of snuck under the radar at the Cleveland Clinic, and then as soon as like he proved it to be successful, was basically uh, exiled to right. you know, to some leaky, you know building off-campus, off God knows where. Um, how, what's, how did you get this program approved and funded? And what's your relationship now with the other, uh, with your colleagues in the, in the other parts of, of the system?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. It's, um, it's been a, a great adventure making this happen. And I'm very lucky that I work at Montefiore It has a really intense social mission that they take very seriously. And so and I have a great chief, Mario Garcia, who I think believes that he wants the people working in his division to run with their passions, because you know, he figures they'll do their best work doing that. And so I decided, after a while, you know, thinking about it and some of the ins and outs of it, that I wanted to start this program, and I basically told him, "Look, this is what I want to do." And in a big picture sense, the way it works is a patient comes and sees me. And then they come to one of our Saturday morning sessions, which are about four or five hours. Um, and you know, I'm not reimbursed for those sessions. I don't charge patients for those sessions. We fund them all through tax-deductible donations. But when I first started out, you know, I told him what I wanted to do, and they and he said, "Okay, you know, go for it. That sounds great." And I, you know, I didn't get pushback, and so which is fantastic. You now I basically have to fund it all through. Through donations and and those donations go to help me grow the research arm the clinical arm the sort of the PR arm if you will like talking to people about why living this way is helpful Um, but you know I get to use Montefiore space and so I don't have to you know pay any rent or things like that so that's very very helpful and I you know part of the infrastructure of Montefiore so I didn't really get pushback at all and so he said if you want to do it go for it that's great and, and here we are now three years later Uh, with this program that's, you know, growing and and I think getting stronger. Um, And uh, so the, and and I think the administration likes it um, in part because it's consistent with their social mission. Um, People now come to Montefiore who may not otherwise have because we have this, I guess, relatively unique program to my knowledge, to my knowledge, there's not another one like it, certainly from a cardiologist, you know, in the whole tri-state area, which is kind of embarrassing, but, <laughs> um, for, for us as physicians, but so you're, you're rate,
0: getting people from the suburbs and from Manhattan coming as well. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, people have literally flown in, um, you know, took an airplane <laughs> uh, to come and see us because you know they can drive. So all like Staten Island, um, all the boroughs, and you know just as some perspective, Staten Island. It's a, it's kind of a hassle to get from Staten Island to the Bronx, and you're bypassing multiple medical systems, all of which are you know very very good. Um, so it's a draw for for patients, and you know sometimes when you see patients, they. They may need a test or two, so there's, you know, the financial aspect, the benefits of that for the hospital, and and it's you know it's a nice PR thing for the hospital um, as well. I mean, we're really doing good, and I'm trying to democratize the information as much as possible. That's why I don't charge people uh, for it, um, and so um, it's it's been pretty much embraced. I uh, I feel very very lucky, and my colleagues you know i'm lucky i've been here a little while and you know maybe behind my back they may chuckle or sometimes when i walk around with with a bag of veggies or something they're like oh you got your bag of vessels in there (laughs) um
0: (laughs) that's a a pretty uh, sophisticated dig
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, that's pretty cool but which is great because that you know that means you know of course that they remember some either stuff we've talked about or the grand rounds and oh yeah we have you know I get to teach medical students, residents, fellows about this. And we have a pretty big fellowship program, like eight fellows a year. And once a year they have like an hour long make fun of the faculty show, like around Christmas time. And every year, like literally there are like fifty faculty members. Half the show is about, you know, me or our program. You know, like joking about broccoli or joking about kale or, you know, stuff like that. But that's great because, you know, it's in their consciousness, they're thinking about it, and then they go on and they graduate and they become cardiologists all over the US. Uh, so that's really exciting. So, and, and other colleagues are referring to us, surgeons refer, um, so it's, it's, I've been very lucky, and you know, don't get me wrong, not everybody um, thinks it's, it's great, but lots of people do, um, and uh, it's been fun to watch people speak more and more about it, and I guess that, the proof is in the pudding, <laughs> but, uh, you know, people within our system are, many people are, are coming because they're interested in either learning about it or, you know, um, being cared for in this way. So even, you know, within the Montefiore system, who would presumably know the most about it, they're coming too. So I, I feel very happy about that.
0: Mm so you you mentioned when we were talking before we uh, got on the air that uh, one of your goals at this moment is to grow the research arm and clinical arm you talk a little bit about what what you've got what you'd like to do and what the what the benefits would be
1: yeah so thank you um in terms of the research arm what i have is a lot of patients who've come through and i've analyzed some of that data i looked at i think about 40 patients a number of years ago and they had lowered on average their LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, about 20 points, which I think was either 15 or 20 percent, um, which is, I think about 20 percent actually, which is about what a very weak statin uh, would get you. Um, but so what I want to do is to collate all of that data as best we can into some kind of, you know, observational study or multiple case reports or things like that um, to so there's that aspect I want to build a very large registry of patients who are going through this and I actually have an IRB uh, in our research office which is the any kind of study that you want to do you have to file for an IRB to make sure it's ethical and it's going through right now where we can actually formally do a registry registry study and, and store bloods and track Special, unique things that that we don't get clinically, but that may be uh, things that are benefited from a plant-based diet. So I want to create a big registry study of just following patients forward over time, seeing how they do, what are we doing well? What can we do better? What are some unique markers of things that improve? So there's that aspect of it. I want to throw out case reports and small case studies. Um, and I want to do a, a small randomized controlled trial here that I'll, put it, I'll be putting the IRB together for this summer. The goal of these projects is uh, to hopefully, we'll, we'll see what this, the outcome, this, the evidence is, but to uh, help get the beneficial or potentially beneficial impacts in regard to these studies out there to the general public. Um, more evidence to support why living this way is good and having this evidence will be make me better able to help convince my recalcitrant colleagues that living this way is good, that look, you know, here at Montefiore, look at the study of 30 uh, patients that we we looked at here and all measure X, Y, and Z got better. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know, and so just to try to further the discussion, further uh, people embracing this. So um, that's, in a big picture sense, the research arm, and there's other studies I have cooking as well. Um, from a clinical arm, uh, I want to um, be able to have a at least part time or full time nutritionist work with me, other people to help with outreach um, so to, which I think would help us further with people embracing it, helping us educate people even more and largely my issue is is funding um, and so you know anyone anyone who might be interested in donating to our program you know I don't know if you would have the website up there but it's um
0: I'll put, I'll, www- I'll put a link in the show notes and tell and tell us now for okay. folks who are just listening
1: oh great thanks yeah it's www.montefior.org slash cardiac wellness program thank you for that very thank you montefior for that very easy website yeah um
0: and Montefiore, of course is spelled like it sounds
1: <laughs> yeah of course yeah <laughs> it's m as in Mary, O, N as in Nancy, T, as in Thomas, E, as in Elephant, F, as in Frank, I, O, R, as in Robert, E, as in Elephant, and it's a, it's .org, and all these donations are tax deductible. Um, and when you if you go onto that page, there's a teeny tiny little blue thing that says "Support the Program" like in the middle of the page, and you click on that, and it'll take you to the donation thing, and it's all tax deductible. So this would help me to fund. Um, the research projects would help me to fund our day to day clinical operations, and also hopefully expand it.
0: Cool. So what, what was it again after the dot org slash cardiac wellness, wellness
1: program? program
0: cardiac wellness program, and then you get at your <clears throat> magnifying glass and hunt for the support the program button.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Hey, cool. As you were talking about the the research arm and the and the dual goals of getting evidence to convince the general public of this way of eating, and then taking turning around and um, convincing your colleagues, it kind of reminds me of what what happened once the United States uh, legalized prescription med commercials advertising. You know, everything was like, ask your doctor about Viagra, ask your doctor about Rogaine. Um, this is almost like, ask your doctor about, you know, not eating crap. Yeah, exactly. Where, um, yeah, I, I'd love to see the commercial and the, uh, you know, the side effects of, uh, of a
1: plant based yeah, diet. All right. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Like, all of my patients, well, I guess not all, but nearly everyone has something get better that they never would have thought like a skin issue or a chronic ache or pain. Um, I had one patient who had horrible uh, cystitis, which is painful inflammation of the bladder and can be quite uncomfortable, get better. Like, I don't know if that was, I can't tell you for sure if that was a plant-based diet, but she'd had it for years and it got better after going on a plant-based diet. I had people with horrific prostatitis, a couple people actually, uh, and it got better after they went, they'd had it for years and tried all sorts of stuff, and it got better on a plant-based diet. Now, is that a plant-based diet? I don't know. But uh, it's certainly interesting.
0: Right. Well,
1: I'm, so yeah. Be, so go ahead. No, no. So It would be great. The, you know, the advertisements would be great. All kinds of things getting better.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm reading uh, some books on statistics right now, and one of them is talking about, you know, the difference between correlation and causation. It's a great line. that Correlation is not proof, but it's waggling its eyebrows suggestively and saying, look
1: over there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, that's these, um, you know, large... When you, when you have multiple, multiple uh, epidemiologic studies with that, you know, show correlations in that waggly eyebrow direction, and then basic science studies that support that mechanistically, and then some randomized trial data that also supports it, you know, those eyebrows get pretty strong pointing in a certain direction.
0: (laughs) Yep. Cool. So um, before we we started, we did talk about our uh, Princeton Day School connection. And yeah. um, and the one thing you asked me not to mention was your, your uh, senior quote, <laughs> which I feel compelled to mention because I think it's great. Actually, if oh, you okay. don't mind, no,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> now, I was seventeen. Okay.
0: Yeah, now that you've been well, you know, I mean, it could have been worse. You 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 quote a U two song and you say, "I still haven't found what I'm looking for," which, as I look back over our conversation, that kind of defines your saving grace as a doctor. Right, there are so many doctors that you know um, get their MD, do their residency, study with great people, get a position, and they're like, "I found what I'm looking for. I know th- I know the playbook for how to be a doctor." And yeah, we can't cure everything, and people don't always listen, and they don't take their meds, and they're kind of stupid sometimes. But this is the best we can do. And you were like, "I still haven't found what I'm looking for until until you did." So I'm <laughs> I'm tickled pink at the uh, the poetic justice of, of that quote.
1: Oh, well, well, thank you. I really appreciate you putting it so generously. Um, but it kind of, it it does kind of feel like that with me for the plant-based diet. I mean, it really has rejuvenated me as a doc. It's why I got in it to help people feel better and do better. And I've, you know, outside of emergency surgery, like someone just got shot and they need to have emergency surgery, like outside of that, I've just never seen anything come close. So, yeah, I mean, professionally, it really has helped me find uh, what I'm looking for. So thank you.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one more thing that uh, according to the, um, the poll taken by your classmates, they, they, they think you'll probably end up a stand-up comedian.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to do a lot of like, oh, I took this great improv class uh, a few years ago. That was a lot of fun in uh, in New York City. There's all kinds of amazing improv there, but yeah, well, it's fun to revisit the uh, the high schools, high school years. I guess stand up comedian stuff sort of fell by the wayside. Fortunately, I found this, so that's pretty cool.
0: Right. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of people laugh at me when I tell them how I
1: eat. So uh, I mean,
0: we're <laughs> we're having we're having the same effect to to some degree
1: yeah well they're laughing at us not with us but it's still all good <laughs> right well you know
0: imagine when uh when everyone's eating this way then we'll have to we'll have to find some other frontier to uh, yeah seriously it
1: forward. I'm, I'm so excited of just to have been able to be a part of this and and to learn about what you're doing i mean it's just amazing to to spread the word to such a wide huge audience that's fantastic
0: well, it is it is fun that it's you know, it's the coolest thing to, to know about something that other people don't know about and and be able to share it. It's, uh, you know, I, I feel so fortunate to have stumbled upon this way of living and this this way of thinking about the world, because I have lots of friends who had pretty much equal educational opportunities, equal economic opportunities, and they never found it. And I'm turning 50 in uh A couple of months, and you know, I mean, knock on wood. um, This knowledge has has had huge benefits in my my energy, my health. You know, I'm not on I'm not on pills. I'm uh, I'm doing heavy gardening on a daily basis. I'm doing martial arts. I'm running. Um, You know. We're not freaks of nature. We're we're simply not smacking ourselves three times a day with uh, with harmful foods.
1: It's so great to hear about your experience, and that's and that's awesome. And and what what you said so resonates with me. I find many people feel like, well, it's not going to happen to me. Maybe I'm different you know, or some version of that, which is, of course, just not right at all. We're all pretty much nearly exactly the same. (laughs) Uh, So what's harmful for someone else is going to be harmful for us. And for us to have the, like, fallacious not thought that we are somehow different and protected, it's just nonsense. I mean, the number one reason for adult men and adult women in the U.S. to die is because of... Um, heart and blood vessel disease. And you know, look, we all know, or maybe maybe many of us know, that one person who's 95 years old and did everything wrong. <laughs> but, I, I, it, but that's by far the exception, not the rule. Look, I mean, you could, and the analogy to that I'd like to make is you could drive your car in a drive, and you could close your eyes and drive through four straight intersections, and maybe you'll be fine. But more likely than not, you'd have a giant car accident. Um, so you know closing your eyes is, is the hope that you might turn out like that 95 year old who did everything wrong
0: <laughs> that's great that's a great metaphor yep. well I want to let you get back to treating your patients and saving the world But it has been such a pleasure Rob to, uh, to talk with you and get to know you a little bit and, and thank you for, for sharing your wisdom with us and thank you for, for the mission it's, uh, it's, it's great to live in a world in which you and people like you are, uh, are stepping up.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, a, it's a real honor, and I'm honored to be a part of, of what you guys are doing. So thank you. All right. Be well.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Robert Ostfeld as much as I did. If you like the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help it grow, the best things to do are, number one, share it on social media, email it to your friends, talk about it, get a tattoo, put it on a hat. Uh, Also, please go to iTunes and leave a review and some stars. So that really helps other people find the podcast when they don't necessarily know about it. And that's where most of the growth has come from. So I appreciate all the folks who've done it. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and leave a review. If you're in the Piedmont region of North Carolina, which is to say Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Durham, Hillsborough, Saxpahaw, Pittsburgh, you know who you are, people. um, You can come to a intro dinner that I host a couple times a month these days. Uh, Plant Yourself Intro Dinners. And they're all about delicious food and about learning about the links between diet, lifestyle, health, health care, and what we can do to live long, healthy, vibrant, pain-free lives for as long as possible. The good news is that dinners are free. The bad news is you have to RSVP. So if you want to find out more information, go to plantyourself.com dinners. And you can scroll down and see the upcoming events and where to sign up. Also, if you'd like to attend an online version, if you live somewhere else and uh, you're not going to come for the food, but you still want to hear what I have to say, go to plantyourself.com. And on the right, there is a sign-up box to attend a wellness webinar. And I'm going to need your first name, last name, email, and zip code in case I'm ever in your area so I don't have to bother everybody. If I'm announcing a stop in uh, you know, Tuscaloosa or Miami or something like that. And as soon as I get those rolling, you will be invited. It's the end of May, and I gotta go outside. We got a lot to do. I've got to stake up the tomatoes. I learned today about the Florida weave, so I don't have to use those horrible tomato cages that, that fall over and crush all the fruit got a lot of other stuff to do in the garden, deadheading, trying to keep the Bermuda grass out of our beds. And whatever you are doing inside or out this beautiful spring day in the Northern Hemisphere, beautiful fall day in the Southern Hemisphere, be well, my friends.